This is Better Late Than Never, and welcome to Season 3. This podcast features explicit language and spoilers. Hello, and welcome to Better Late Than Never. This is a mostly movie podcast where I invite a friend to watch a blockbuster, cult favorite, or otherwise culturally significant film that they've never seen before. After we watch the movie, my guest will decide, if it was better late, that they've been missing out by not having seen the film, or never. The movie just didn't live up to the hype for them. My name is Dave, and I'll be your host for this podcast. Alright, so I say that this is a mostly movie podcast, because this week we are doing something completely different from the norm. That's right, we're going to be reviewing a book. This week I am joined by two of my good friends, returning guests Will. Hey Will. Hello! And Dan. What's up Dan? How's it going? And we're going to be reviewing a book that neither of them have ever read before. We're going to be checking out Ender's Game. Guys, welcome to the show. How is everything going? It's going great. We're still in a global pandemic, but uh, (laughs) other than that, this gives me more time to read some books. That's right. Just stuck in the house. May as well get some reading done and, you know, read some books that I probably should have read when I was like 13, 14 years old. Silver linings. Well, let me ask you guys a little bit about this book. Had you ever heard of Ender's Game? I have heard of it, yes. What have you heard of it, pray tell? Well, um, funny enough, before you asked me to do this particular podcast, I had it had re-come up in my sort of, like, media consumption... Um, like I'd heard of it years ago and like knew of it, but, um, I was listening to another podcast recently. Yeah. And, uh, and the host, um, Shane Parrish of the Knowledge Project, great podcast, by the way. Um, he was talking about how he reads it like every year or so with his kids. Um, so he was recommending the book. Um, I mean, at least for kids, but like he, he seemed to like, like it himself. So I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. Like, maybe I should, like, look, you know, it seems like a kind of a cool book, even though I don't have kids. But, yeah. What about you, Will? Um, yeah, I mean, I've heard of, I've heard uh, the book Ender's Game of the title since, uh, I think, like, middle school when friends of mine recommended it to me. I even think that maybe it became one of those books that, you know, I hadn't read and everyone else had. So I was just kind of annoyed by its very existence and therefore... Mm-hmm avoided it um i'm not sure maybe that's a lot to put on it but i've definitely been aware of uh of the book since you know an early age i don't know if i remember it as a kid at all i feel like i encountered it more as an adult like i'm not 
totally sure what it's about. I like have some, I think I have some ideas. I'm assuming it's not a book about how Ewoks entertain themselves. What? So, yeah. <laughs> Is there a book about how well, Ewoks e- entertain themselves? <laughs> well, I read, so when I was looking up this book to like get it from the library, um, I typed in Endor. Oh, oh so i was like Games oh wait endor no. <laughs> so i'm like that's not right because it was all star wars titles that showed up yeah well, i actually have an in- yeah so like it actually took me a bit to track down this book and uh I, I don't have it yet but it's it's on hold at the library but i have like a sort of interesting thing that happened when i was like trying to get this book okay so i went on a bumble date and I was like talking to the girl and like I brought up your podcast, as I always do, of course. And um, so we were talking about just like movies and things like that. And I was like, oh, we might do a book. And she was like, oh, what book? And so I said, it's Ender's Game. And she's like, oh, I have that. And I was like, oh, I should like, maybe I can like borrow it or something sometime. And so like, anyway, we like, you know, went on with the date. And then like, we ended up going out again. And I was like, oh, you should like, let me borrow that book. And like, you know, um, that, you know, I can read it for the show. And uh, so she's like, yeah, that's totally cool. Right. Well, and then so we went out and then I was like, oh, make sure you bring the book like, you know, and uh, and then so the date ended and she didn't give me the book. So I had a really strong feeling that we would be going out again. (laughs) You know, that's that's kind of bold because I kind of feel like loaning uh, friends books is kind of a rot thing to do. Even if they're like a friend and there's no kind of pressure on anything else and you're sure you're going to see them again, because I feel like nine times out of ten, you just never see the book again anyway. I can vouch for that being true. It goes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so to bring that into a like online dating situation early on, I don't think it was a bad move because I think that um, and and. Uh, I wouldn't, I mean, are you completely counting it out now? Is it just like over with? Or do you think there's oh, still a chance I, I here? I think, frankly, maybe you came on too strong about the, maybe that's why she didn't go out with you again. She's like, he's only in it for the book. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's possible. It's possible. I mean, well, so she did text me and was like, oh, you were, it was a good date, but like not romantically interested. So it was one of those, like, I was like, oh, okay. You know, <laughs> I, I, I think you came across as a book digger. <laughs> yeah, Probably. Probably. I mean, that's what I was looking up in profiles. Like, do they have a good book selection? <laughs> yeah, you look at the pictures. Is it in front yeah. of like a bookshelf? Right. You check the titles. <laughs> that's what I always do. <laughs> uh, no, see, she's got a, you know, she's got a Faulkner book up there. I can't go out with her. But it is much harder to get books now. I mean, like, because, you know, my normal library protocol is not the same. Like, it's like Fort Knox to get into a library. You can't just like walk, <laughs> yeah, no, walk into the library. Yeah, it was a huge hassle. But I managed it because our local libraries are working incredibly hard to get things to the people. Local libraries! Yes! Well, before I actually ask you what you think it's about, I'm just curious. Do you guys know what genre this book is? Sci-fi. Sci-fi. I also believe, yes, I also believe that it's sci-fi. All right. So what do you guys think it's about? I sort of think it's, like, without the satire, Starship Troopers for kids. Okay. Interesting. I, Starship Troopers is interesting. My my thought line is more towards Hunger Games. 
Okay. Is that just because it's young adult? I think it's because it's young adult. I also kind of in my head, Ender's Game is a game. I think there's a a character. Am I am I going too far here, Dave? No, go go. Okay. Um. So I think there's a character named Ender, and I think okay. that. By the way, I'm assuming I'm a hundred percent wrong here, which is part of the fun of this. But <laughs> I believe that there's a character named Ender who was played in the recent movie by Harrison Ford, and Ender has a game. Uh, where kids have to do something to compete against one another, and it's kind of a coming of age thing, and maybe a bunch of them die or something weird like that. What do you actually think the game is? I picture like a giant dome, uh, and they're flying around on like um, jet scooter things, and uh, and they're bumping into one another. It's All like right. Quidditch, like a much more dangerous game of Quidditch, but maybe also pod racing. And actually, I kind of have in my mind um, the movie Logan's Run, like the the battle they do in Logan's Run before they renew when they're about to be 30. Except for I think in Ender's Game, they're younger. They're like young adults. Yeah, what kind of age range do you think we're looking at here? I think we're looking at like... Um, I think that we might be dealing with a world that has a slightly different coming of age than we have in 21st century uh, America, um, because I think oftentimes that's sort of part of these uh, these movies is that they're looking at like kind of a coming of age thing, but maybe the age doesn't exactly line up with uh, with our current society. Um, but still, I think it's going to be somewhere like teenage years. Okay, teenage years. So I think the book is about like a kid named Ender mm-hmm. who is like really good at this game, like whatever the game is. And I sort of think he's like a general or something like that. And he has to save humanity. He might be genetically enhanced. I'm not totally sure about that. But anyway, he's like really good uh, at like, you know, controlling the troops or whatever to, you know, and there's like an evil space fleet and he's got to kind of like control everything and um save humanity so that's kind of my general prediction i'm not sure if like he's being tested in the game or if it's like you know the game is like the real life scenario or not okay what what do you think the age range is on the kids oh i think they're young Mm. like either below teen or young teen now, um, I guess I should probably mention and establish there was a movie adaptation that came out because we mentioned uh, already that Harrison Ford was in it. N- no one's seen it, right? No, no, no I have no idea. Yeah, because that would be cheating. I like didn't even know Harrison Ford was in the movie. Yeah, I think. Oh, Har- I yeah. Go ahead. I I, I would. Just, I think Harrison Ford being in the movie is the only thing I know about the movie. But then again, when the movie came out, well, one, it didn't look all that great. And two, I was like, oh, that book that I never read. I should read that book before ever watching the movie. So I kind of blocked it out. You were right, Will. The movie was not that great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like, I'm wondering if he controls it like a video game. Like, assuming um, my premise is right that he has to, like, save humanity somehow. I think he sort of has to, like, control things with his, like, you know, mind. Uh, Not like in a telekinesis sense, but like, you know plotting things and changing them like by quickly. being the general yes yeah do either of you know who wrote the book i believe i do uh yeah well i had like seen it because when i took out the library book it's like orson 
Scott Key or something like that? Orson Scott Card is my guess. Card. That's right. That sounds right. Yeah. Do either of you guys know him or anything about him? He's been to a couple barbecues in my backyard, but other than that, you know, seems like an okay guy. Yeah, sure. A little aloof, but, you know, once you get him talking. (laughs) Yeah. I'm also guessing related to him in his, like, novel writing, I'm assuming that this takes place within sort of, like, a universe of other books, but it's not part of a, like, uh like a series like a Lord of the Rings where you have to read all three hmm. or however many to get the full picture of the this story. Like it's a standalone book, but there's also other books that are related to it. So there's like a canon, like a, like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, something like that, where there's just a lot of different books that take place in the same universe. Yes, but I, that's I'm not sure about that, but that's a guess. Well, in an unspoilery way, I will say that you guys are not going to have to read other books <laughs> for the sake of this podcast. <laughs> Just the one. Okay, good. Yeah. The book stand. The book stands on its own. I I think it is okay to tell you. Nice. Yeah, it's not. It's not a Fellowship of the Ring scenario. Yeah, I mean, this is a very different type of book than I typically read. Um. So I'm kind of excited for that reason. Like, you know, I'm reading, I read mostly nonfiction, like I'm reading a nonfiction book right now. So mm. this is kind of a like little departure, which will be fun. Yeah, that's that's interesting, Dan, because I actually meant to ask you guys this um, because this is the first time or, you know, because Dave, you recently switched from doing, you know, all movies to venturing out in different media. What are you guys' reading habits? I mean, do you read often? Do you, do you not read often? I mean, like in this age of twitter is it is it difficult yeah i read a pretty good amount i'm certainly not like a voracious reader that like reads like tons of books but um i try to be always reading something even if it's like slow moving like i'm reading uh meditations by marcus aurelius right now oh hmm. snap really yeah have you read that dave it's on my coffee table uh, oh yeah i i haven't i haven't gotten into it, uh starting it yet but it's it's at the top of the queue I am, like, very much a Roman history dork, so that was a, a natural one for me to get. Oh, yeah, then you should definitely, absolutely read this. Yeah. I have had it forever, but I, I pulled it out of my uh, my shelf of doom where books go to die and was like, this one's getting read next, you know? It's surprisingly easy to read, too, um, you know, for something that seems like it might be really dense and, like, strange to read given the current context. I'm also going to assume that Ender's Game is very easy to read because I I'm yes. pretty positive that's written for young kids. It is. It is a young adult book, so shouldn't be too difficult. Uh, to answer your question, Will, um, I um would consider myself a voracious reader, and in terms of my taste, Ender's Game I think is pretty squarely in my wheelhouse. I really like the style of book that that is and um i even maybe even trend a little more towards liking ya stuff Mm. but um i also tend to go through phases especially now like you know now that we're grown-ups and shit like it's hard to find the time and there's also a lot of other media that sort of calls for your attention like movies and tv and right whatever else so i kind of go through these like phases where like i'm watching a lot of movies at the moment or i'm watching a lot of tv and then i'll like swing back to like remembering that i like to read and then i'll read like 
five books in a month, you know, and just like blast through a whole bunch of them. And, uh, you know, it'll feel great and I'll love it. And I'll be like, oh my God, why did I ever stop doing this? This is the greatest, you know, it'll be like hitting the library all the time and all that. And then eventually that'll, that energy will peter out a little bit and then I'll go back to flopping down on the TV and throwing on the amazing race at night. Right. Are you, are you a big, uh, young adult, like fiction reader, Will? Not so much. I think these days I'm also much more likely to get into or, or regularly be more consistent with nonfiction books. Um, and I do a lot of audio books, which some people in the literary world scoff at. And I'm not quite sure why, <laughs> because it's like it's still getting into my head, particularly. I mean, if I'm reading, you know, a piece of literature and I might want to, like, spend time looking at the words and rereading some of the prose and stuff like that, that's one thing. But, um, you know, if it's something like a John Ronson or Malcolm Gladwell or Yuval Harari book that, you know, it's just it just needs to get into my head. Like, I don't really. Oh, yeah, uh, those translate pretty well to audio, I think. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's kind of, um, you know, and then I can do it while I'm like going for a walk or running on the treadmill or something like that. So it's kind of multitasking. Um like you said, Dave, whenever I do kind of get back into reading fiction, I'll be like, oh, my God, this is so great. And I'll like be really enthusiastic with it for a while and then it'll kind of fall off for me. So, um, yeah, that's I would say that like, yeah, maybe like once a year I'll go on a like a, a literary binge with like a few fiction books. And then for the rest of the year, it'll be like, you know, I'll be like 78 pages into one and it'll just kind of sit there while I do other things. That's interesting. Both of you guys are basically kind of on the same page then, and you're kind of the opposite of me. You know, I do, I, you know, in the same way that you guys are mostly nonfiction with a little fiction, I'm the same. I'm mostly a fiction guy, but I do pick up the odd nonfiction book sometimes just to, you know, get a, get a few facts now and then uh, into me. Um, so I'll be interested to see what your reaction to this is then based on that. That's that's kind of cool. Um, yeah, maybe it'll jumpstart my love of fiction again. Oh, that would be great. Um, well, I guess that brings us kind of close to the end. I t guess last would be, do you guys have any final predictions or hopes for this story? I think the good guys are going to win. Okay. I think, but there will be like some sort of ironic twist, twist where someone or something is sacrificed. Hmm. hmm. I also think I'm part. Part of me is also wondering if the adults are bad in some way, or at least like grayer. Okay. Do you have I any ideas on any other characters besides uh, the main protagonist? Well, well, I think Dan and I were our uh, predictions differ. Is I think that Ender is an adult who's kind of running the whole show, and I think that there's a protagonist who's a boy. Um, but I don't think he's Ender. But Dan, you think Ender is the boy? Well, you know, I did, and since you made your prediction, yours actually sounds more right. <laughs> now that I've thought about it, I just sort of assumed Ender would be the kid. But I'll, I'll stick with my prediction just because, like that, that's what I made, and because I thought of it before I heard you say it. Right. But I kind of think you're right now. But we both think there's a kid and and an adult, and. And that there's kind of this sci-fi future or whatever post 
dystopia, whatever reality thing. Is that yes. right? Yeah, okay. Yes. Okay. So I'm not going to give you any spoilers, and I'm not going to say anything, hopefully, that um, influences you reading through it. I just want to mention that I picked this book not just because it was a you know popular uh you know kind of like blockbuster book when we were growing up but also because this one is kind of special to me i love this one so i hope you guys like it too <laughs> all right we'll see if it lives up to your hype i guess yeah mm-hmm. i know right yeah i'm i'm the one hyping this one hardcore yeah basically um it uh this is one of those books that kind of had an outsized influence on me growing up. I'll say that. Um, and I'll elaborate further when we come back. But uh, it kind of impacted me when I read it. I, I really uh, came away from it with something. So uh, I hope I really hope you guys like it. Well, awesome. I'm excited to start reading it. Yeah. Nice. All right, guys. Well. That is part one of Better Late Than Never, the book edition. Guys, enjoy reading. I'm going to reread it too, so when we come back, we can have a little kind of like book club sesh, and we'll see what everybody thought. Yay! All right, see you next time. This is the part where we're reading the book. And now it's done. And so we're back, and now we have read Ender's Game. Yay! Oh, yeah. He pwned those noobs, got the high score, he wrecked them. And I think at the end, like, he put his name as Ass, A-S-S, as the high score. I think that was Oh, like- yeah, and he used, the, he used the money sign for the S's, too. You have to, yeah. right? At yeah. money money, and... Uh... And that was that was on the back back page. You kind of had to really look for that one, but that was the real. Ending. Yo yo, who's this? Who's got the high score on all the games? He says his name is Ass. I don't know. That seems much more like a Bean move than an Ender move. Yeah, that's that's total Bean move. <laughs> what did you guys? Uh, what did you guys think of Ender's game? I liked it. it I liked it. Yes, yeah. it was a it was a book, and it was entertaining and it said things philosophically at points um dave what's the because i know it's a young adult book and i missed it um when i was a kid of course which is why i'm on this show but what what when did you read it i'm curious i'm sorry to hijack the conversation so quickly but when did you read it and what is kind of the intended age or the age that most people read this book well first off i don't know if this conversation will be hijackable because we've never We've never really done books very much before, so this is going to, the process for doing a book is a work in process. This might be kind of scattered and we'll organically figure out how we're going to talk about it, I think. So, you know, no worries on just, we can just talk about it as we talk about it. I think the intended age range is the same as any young adult thing, you know, kind of like you're like 13-ish. Yeah. I read it, God, how old was I when I read it? I probably read it, like, when I was around 10 or 11. So you were advanced, like young Ender. Yeah. 
I was I was always I was always a very advanced reader. <laughs> I did see on the Wikipedia I like skimmed the Wikipedia page like right before this podcast because I actually finished the book this morning. Mm, very um, good. Yeah, like an hour before this show right now. So more like um, a slow remedial. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but like apparently like military commanders like recommend this book to their like, you know, their students and things yeah, like they that. Teach so like, it. so it's obviously like, you know, adults are reading this book. Yeah, well, well, I mean, I still liked it reading it now. I mean, one thing that was interesting to me was it's definitely geared towards kids. And, and I guess part of it as an adult that I found kind of maybe a little tedious was sort of the repetitive nature of like, you know, the, the all the different games he's playing and like, you know, that he's powering up with each one and stuff like that. I was I, I was a little bit kind of like get to the point at some points. But I mean, I think that if I was a kid reading it, I would be much more enthralled in that world and in the games and stuff like that. Um, but I was, there were a lot of, and we can go into specific quotes and things like that, but there were a lot of moments in the book where there was some, you know, actually profound philosophy espoused and, uh, you know, some really interesting things. So I could see how adults would read it. I could even see how it would be, you know, taught, uh, or, you know, encouraged reading for people entering military or different types of things like that, almost like a sci-fi you know kids sci-fi version of the art of war almost oh yeah yeah i was actually surprised that it at some points that it was intended for kids like it seems it seems like a very dark complicated work of fiction and i know it's like a lot of young kids like in as the protagonists and like you know there's a lot of like kind of like fun games type stuff and i can see the appeal for that but like some of the deeper questions are like wow this is like pretty dark for like a 13 14 year old kid yeah i don't know i mean when i read it for the first time i fucking loved it like i you know i had some different opinions of it reading it now this time especially around some of the uh moral and ethical uh concerns around the book and also in my view of ender himself but at the time, the first time I read it, uh, this was like one of the most formative reading experiences of my entire life reading this book. Like, not only did I love it, but I just, I don't know, man, I wanted to be Ender. Like, so when I was a kid, I was bullied a lot like Ender was. And um, just the way Ender thinks and responds to situations is kind of like, I don't know. I was never really able to do it, but I kind of was just sort of jealous of Ender. Because Ender, I mean, you look at it now and you realize Ender's kind of a psychopath. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the way he thinks through situations. But at the time, I was just sort of like, man, he just sort of like solves his problems so efficiently. And I was very, very jealous of that. And I, you know, I wanted to try and like adapt my thinking to try and be more like that. And, you know, to a certain extent, I I was successful in just like trying to like, model myself on him a little bit like i tried to 
you know, because Ender is one of those people who's constantly, they say it in the book too, it's sort of like, he's never just uh, watching something, he's always actively observing, and like a few times they always say like he's filing away information for later use, like he, he, he doesn't like just see something, he like observes this, and that is information that could be useful later, so he doesn't passively let things just pass by without notice you know and i was like that is something that i can begin to do but uh, i was never quite able to become the violent person that he was it just like wasn't in me yeah i mean but at at the time i kind of almost like wished it was (laughs) Sure. Like, I mean, he's definitely not a complete psychopath. I mean, like, they say explicitly in the book that he's, like, sort of, like, the in-between of his, like, his older brother Peter and younger brother, or or other sister, Valentine. And, like, he wouldn't have been as successful if he couldn't, like, empathize with, like, his enemy and, like, really understand, like, their motivations and things like that. I even have the quote at the end when they're talking about the commander that they wanted. We had to have a commander with so much empathy that he could think like the buggers, understand them, and anticipate them. So much compassion that he could win the love of his underlings and work with them like a perfect machine, as perfect as the buggers. But somebody with that much compassion could never be the killer we needed. And also they said they needed to have the commander be a child because children are inherently more... um, reckless and creative and brave in their thinking than adults yeah i mean i can for that reason i can definitely see sort of the appeal for uh young kids reading this book too like i mean i did actually specifically think of you dave while i was reading this book like i did know you were like bullied and stuff as as a young kid i mean but for myself like i wasn't bullied or anything like that but um i did find myself like empathizing with ender during it and like wanting to to protect himself and, like, you sort of, like, root for him, like, to really, like, beat them harshly because they're, like, really mean to him. Oh, he's yeah. just, like, a little kid. And, like, the adults don't protect him. And he's just, like, has to sort of do it by himself. Um, but then again, he does murder those kids. Like, you know. Yeah. But you sort of, like, you're, like, you know what? Good. But then you're, like, wait, they're kids. <laughs> like, it's a, it makes you question yourself, which is, like, a good work of fiction to, like, make you sort of do that. Well, I, I see, that's the thing. It's, like, what, as a kid... I was like, that's awesome. As an adult, I'm I'm reading it now, and I'm sort of like, Orson Scott Card worked really, really hard to create the exact scenario by which he could have Ender be like, behave like a murderer and be a psychopath and eventually commit genocide and have at no point along the way it ever be his fault Mm. yeah i mean i actually have a lot of thoughts on like sort of the ethical quandaries of this book and like i don't know if we want to get into it right now or not but um sure yeah i mean it like raises so many moral questions throughout the book like i mean how much of ender's life and choices are even free to him versus like being determined by others like everything's like you know, he thinks it's a game the whole time. He doesn't realize he's, like, actually committing genocide, and if he did, he wouldn't have done it, according to him. I have a question I need to ask, like, yeah. real right away. So, Ender 
goes to battle school where he's fighting these simulated battles and then he goes to the command school where it's the simulated command of fleets and spoilers for Ender's Game the final test to graduate from command school is that he commands this tiny fleet against a huge fleet with a planet and um the only trick he can come up with is to destroy the planet and it turns out at the end that the big twist is that all of the simulations at command school have been real they've been lying to him they've never been simulations at all he's actually been commanding the actual human fleets against the alien menace the buggers and actually wiping out their entire race the whole time and the destruction of the planet was an act of genocide that he just committed so what i want to ask is uh at what point reading the book did you figure out that it wasn't a game i th- i you know i it, it ran through my head numerous times um i mean i wasn't like totally sure but like i don't i don't know if there's like a moment but i was like i forget exactly when it popped into my head but i did w- did think like oh maybe is this actually happening yeah same with me i mean when he's at the command school and there's these simulations happening i mean i think just part of the i mean the title is ender's game and you're also you know just realizing that you're coming up to the climax of the story and you're like well i mean the climax of the story isn't just going to be him playing a game it's going to be him actually doing some shit so um yeah i think i think i i definitely you know it occurred to me um, I don't know if there was a moment that I was like, aha, uh, I think it was just kind of generally. And then, and then, you know, at the end of his last assignment, when they have like everyone show up and, and watch along and all that type of thing, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it, it at, at, at that point it was, you know, pretty obvious. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I kind of did see it coming. It didn't mean that it, the, the gravity of the moment and, you know, him realizing that it was all real, you know, I didn't, I didn't. I think it didn't quite occur to me that like every single thing he was doing was was real up until uh, the end. Um, And then kind of the gravity of that hitting him was, you know, was definitely effective, even though, you know, you saw it coming. Yeah, I actually agree with that. Like, I didn't think the earlier simulations were real. I I thought like the final test was going to be real and that was it. But like, it turns out all of them were real, which was kind of an interesting twist. I mean, again, like the the twist doesn't matter so much, although it would have been I guess that's like really appealing to a kid, I imagine. But the twist is on Ender in the in the book, which is really interesting to see, like him sort of like deal with that. Well, he falls to pieces. He goes crazy for a little minute there, because it's basically like, "Whoops, you committed genocide, kid." <laughs> yeah, I mean, but then then it, that's like sort of what I was saying. Like, is he free to determine those decisions? And like, I mean, at one point the book explicitly says like he was used as a weapon, like, as a gun to be pointed at the buggers. So, like, it sort of begs the question, given that his choices are constrained and that he lacks the knowledge of so many of his influences, like, along with their intentions, like, is he morally responsible? You know, I don't think in that situation he is morally responsible, although I think it is kind of weirdly out of character for Ender that he is so smart and so clever throughout the rest of the book that he was unable to put two and two together in that moment, maybe. 
Well, there's a, a but, little bit of kind of uh, logistical suspension of, of disbelief. There's also the, you know, the two other children that he killed along the way. Um, the fact that he is so brilliant in tactical, you know, fighting and kind of can see moves, you know, three moves ahead and all that stuff. Um, but he couldn't tell the difference between, you know, knocking someone down to end a fight and, you know, the amount of force that it took to kill somebody. Um, you well, know. But that's the thing about Ender was that he, and kind of the, the piece of brilliance about him that at first attracted to me, him to me in the beginning was that to Ender, he didn't just want to end one fight. He wanted to end all the fights that could potentially come after them. So to him, he was like, I can't just win this fight. I have to win it in a fashion that is sufficiently brutal that it scares away everyone who's watching so they never come after me again. So let me just add this bit of brutal flair here. Right. And so how much, too, is his, like, subconscious sort of, like, you know, he does know he has to, like, be this brutal and, like, he sort of is at some level aware that, like, he's killing someone or whatever, but, like, his like sort of moral conscience is like, oh, I'm not like Peter, you know, like I'm not a psychopath, but like he knows deep down that he is, and he's sort of wrestling with that, which I thought was sort of interesting. Well, but like Peter a... enjoys it. So uh, to clarify for the listeners, so Ender has two siblings. Ender has an older brother named Peter, who is just as brilliant as him, but was rejected as an option for the commander because he actually is a complete psychopath and uh, is a sadist and really likes to hurt people. He has a older sister who came after Peter named Valentine, who is the opposite of Peter. She's just as brilliant, but she's too soft and too passive. She's a little too malleable and she's too nice is basically her problem. She can never be the military commander they need because she just would never pull the trigger. And so in this feature, uh, third children are outlawed, but the government asked Ender's parents to have a forbidden third child, Ender, in the hopes that he would be just the right mix of Peter and Valentine and be the perfect military commander, both uh, brilliant, uh, killer instinct, but compassionate enough that he could, uh, you know, do all the things that we mentioned before, you know, uh, empathize with the enemy so that he could think like them and, you know, build a team that loved him, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, but so, Will, do you think he's, like, morally responsible for his actions there? It's a difficult thing. Um, he's definitely... Uh... I mean, to the extent to which he may have been on some level aware of what was going on and just decided to shut it down and didn't admit it to himself, maybe there's some responsibility there. Um, you know, but it's it's just such an interesting question. It even goes to, you know, um, in, in real-life soldiers who are fighting for all the reasons that they've been taught are right, but, um, you know, historically they're on the wrong side of the conflict, or maybe there is no right side of the conflict, and um, violence and killing is always wrong no matter what. On a, on a certain level, that's true as well. So, I mean, it's just such a, such a moral quandary, if you will. Um, <laughs> because, you know, at a certain point, um, everyone who is engaging in combat is doing something that is 
you know, the most morally wrong thing you can do, which is, you know, kill somebody else. But, um, you know, is doing it in a way that we deem heroic because of these, you know, greater forces. And at some point in the way, uh, you know, they've been conditioned, even if it's not as completely deceptive as it is in Ender's case, but um, soldiers are conditioned to believe that they're doing the right thing and fighting for the greater good and what they're doing is, is right and noble. So uh, at some level, you know, each soldier um, it has to be aware of kind of the sort of dual nature of what they're doing. And I think Ender has to as well, even if it's on a subconscious level. So I would say that, yes, there is some responsibility on his part um, because I think there is a certain level where he is willfully ignorant of what's going on um, subconsciously, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's also interesting, too, because what you're saying about, like, uh, this being applicable to soldiers, like, who are following orders, and they're, like, sort of trained uh, in a certain way, and they're, they think they're, like, it's for the greater good. Like, you know, the conflict in the book is we think that these buggers, these, like, sort of insect-like aliens, are colonizing us, and they're gonna, like, wipe us out, and it appears that that's actually true. But then it turns out after we sort of wipe them out, we colonize all their planets. Right. And so it just like totally flips like, okay, we're just protecting ourselves. But like now, hey, like, I mean, we can't even have three children in our society um, unless under special circumstances. But now that we, you know, committed genocide, we can sort of like expand all throughout the universe. Yay. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, like I said, uh, card kind of does a lot of you know work to make ender as morally clean as he can and i guess he more or less succeeds but um i guess that also means you can apply all these moral questions to the people who ran ender's education like colonel graf i mean he goes to court in the book yeah he ain't dumbledore (laughs) like he sets things up to basically torture Ender for his entire life to make sure that the purpose of Ender's education is not just to educate him as a military commander, but it is explicitly to make it so that Ender will believe that he will never have anyone else to rely on but himself ever. And this is why he kills other children in those fights he kills the first one in that opening fight and he kills the other kid in the battle school fight because if ender ever believed that he could run to the teachers to take care of this problem which is the kind of problem solving that i would be more prone to do um that would give ender the impression that he could turn to someone else to solve a problem and that would sort of like ruin him as the battle commander you know, Ender can only ever believe that he has to be the one to come up with a solution every time. And, you know, that's kind of monstrous. And it leads to the death of two peop- two children. Yeah, but yeah. they were asshole children. They were dicks, yes. Uh, so, I mean, aside from the moral quandary about it, do you think his training... I mean, it obviously is effective in the novel, but, like, you know... Do you think that sort of type of training would be effective? 
And like, what did you think of the whole training process? Well, I mean, and it also breaks Ender. You know, it's a close run thing. Can I just say maybe because it's close to football season, but did it, it reminded me a little bit, not to this extreme, but like, uh, of Bill Belichick. So, you know, we're Patriots fans here, at least most of us, I think. Yeah! Um, yeah! <laughs> and, um, I don't know, just like, it, just in little ways, um, like, because, okay, so the teen commanders, they have to, like, put down their star pupil, and it's like, you know, that's, like, part of the process, and, like, it reminded me of when, like, you know, you hear all these stories about how, like, they're in the meeting room, and they're watching game film, and Belichick's, like, putting down Tom Brady, even though it's, like, he's the star player, and, like, just to show that, like, you know, he's not above anyone else. And, like, it's sort of, like, it's even though, he, like, it makes him angry, it, like, pushes him further. I don't know. It's a sort of, like, it's a loose, loose analogy. But, like, it's sort of made yeah, me think of Yeah, there's that. a method to the madness. Right. Well, all right. Let's talk about battle school for a minute. Because laying aside all of this deep shit about the moral and ethical quandaries around the genocide and murder and all this stuff that Ender committed and like, you know, childhood trauma, whatever, forget all that. How fucking awesome is battle school? (laughs) I wanted to be, I wanted to play in it. Me too. Right. And when I was reading this as a kid, I don't know about you guys, but like I was really into like military history as a kid and like, you know, reading about, tactics and strategy and stuff so like when we got to battle school this was extremely my shit like the breaking up of the whole school into different armies and like there were commanders and sub commanders and they all were like coming up with like tactics and fighting battles and learning from each other and like you could trade soldiers from one army to another oh my god did I love that yeah, I mean, I just kept thinking of, like, what tactics I would use, like, during these things. I, I liked how they, like, he, at one point, he, like, set his, like, sub-commanders, the tunes or whatever they called them. Well, to, does like, anyone sort of... want to describe how uh, how the battles in battle school work? Yeah, someone else go ahead. Will, do you want to? I can do it if, if no one else wants yeah, to Yeah, you it. go for it, Dave. All right. All right. So, at battle school. Everyone is, the entire school is broken up into different armies. There's one commander for each army. Oh, and the armies all have animal names, by the way. So there's like Salamander Army and Rabbit Army, you know, Griffin Army. And one of the, uh, you know, they keep riding Ender by making everything hard for him. So number one, they give him an army made up entirely of like scrubs and young kids and small kids and washout kids. So that's something that makes it hard for him. And they also give him the name of an army that was supposedly cursed, which was Dragon Army. What would you want your army name to be? Ooh, the Wolverines? Nah, that's a little too rote. Um, uh, the, uh, mm, oh, I'm going to have to think about this. Not the Zebras, that's lame. Um, the Abominable Snowmen, maybe? Abominable Snowmen Army. Dan? I don't know, maybe octopus. Nice. Oh, octopus. It's yeah. very good. Very good at hand to 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 They are very intelligent, though. They're super intelligent, and they can also like they're also crafty. 
They can like go through like tiny holes and like you know manipulate their body to like do uh, something. Aquatic animals, did we? Not that I remember. Yeah, that's good. No, I was I was just I was gonna go with maybe like owl army. Ooh, that's good too. Because yeah, very wise. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, anyway, so battle school is all of these armies. The oldest kids are made, and they're like forty kids per army, right? There's a commander for each army, and the armies are traditionally broken up into platoons, called toons for short, and these are like little subdivisions of the army that can break up and fight, you know, in different in platoons, in different you know units that can go fight as sub pieces, and you know the commander assigns sub commanders for these within the army, which is fucking awesome. You know, you could be a tune commander, which is, you know, cool. And um, when Ender arrives, the standard is that uh, every army has um, four tunes of ten guys each. But Ender's like, nah, I'm going to make five tunes of eight guys each. So his army is, like, more flexible that way, you know. just They're like also independent things- as opposed to, like, just a set formation that they'd all do. Right. And that was the big innovation. Yeah, they each one can function completely independently, and he he encourages much more improvisation than uh, than anyone had ever uh, encouraged before. And the whole leg move thing, man. Yeah, and um, so all right, so the fighting all takes place in the battle room, which is a giant zero G combat space, which uh, occasionally is filled with uh, these obstacles called stars, and you win. Uh, it's basically laser tag, except what's the innovation is that the suit you are wearing responds to getting hit with the laser gun your opponent has, so it freezes in place when it's hit. So if you're hitting the arm, it locks up, and you can essentially be wounded, you know, with an immobile arm or leg, and uh, you're not dead until you're completely frozen, which is fucking cool. And so these battles go on until ostensibly the whole other army is frozen and then you can pass through your enemy's gate that they came out of on the other side of the battle room. And Ender, when he arrives, is basically the only one to fully grasp all of the implications of fighting in three-dimensional zero-G space and everything you can do with that. And I loved loved all of this cool tactical shit that he comes up with like will do you want to talk about the leg freezing sure well he comes up with the idea and honestly i mean nobody else thought of this before i don't know <laughs> but basically the idea well, they're all is children <laughs> let's keep that in mind that you know he he comes up with the, the idea that you can be immobilized in your legs but you can still you know shoot people with the rest of your body um and it kind of uh, the other teams don't see that coming and it kind of revolutionizes the way that battle is done. Well, it's because well, it's not- he's using it as like a shield. It's right. not just because like right. you can't, you know. Yeah. yeah, he pulls his legs up into his body and deliberately freezes them there in place. So he doesn't even have to like use his muscles to hold them. He just like freezes them to lock them there and like makes his legs into a shield for himself. Yeah, it's 
it's so cool. So Dave, so <laughs> I don't, I don't fully remember because usually the way that we do that, we, you know, back when this was strictly a movie podcast, the way we would regularly do it is record, you know, the first part in your home studio and then go to your living room and watch the movie. And then we are, the predictions we made were very close to mind because we had just made them like two hours before. In this case, you know, days have passed by because we had to go and read a full book. Um, so I don't fully remember the predictions I made, but when these battle room scenes were going on, I was like, I think I kind of called this. I don't know. Did I, do you remember that at all? The predictions were a little all over the place. There was a bit of a prediction that this would kind of be like Starship Troopers for kids. Which it kind of was. Think that's, I think that holds. Yeah. I think that holds. Buggers, right? <laughs> yeah. Buggers is, uh, buggers is, is accurate. Um. There was a bit of a prediction that this would be kind of like the Hunger Games, a a coming-of-age deadly game. Now, how do we feel about the deadly aspect of this? Uh, That's not really true, but it was like Hunger Games in the sense of, like, it being, I don't know, like, kids competing against each other. It was deadly for a couple of them. Yeah, but that wasn't, like, even within the game. It was all a game. (laughs) Um, there was a little bit of discussion about how old Ender would be. Did it throw you guys off that when the book starts, Ender is six years old? Yeah. I mean, this has to be the future where we're more evolved and kids are, you know, I mean, I guess he, he is supposed to be, you know, the greatest military genius in the history of the world. So, you know, some of that prescience is intentional. But at a certain point, you know, I mean, I don't know when the last time you guys hung out with six-year-olds. Like, my, my nephews were six-year-old pretty recently. And, um, you know, there's just certain a certain, like, uh, natural biological, you know, development of the brain and, and physical things and, and, and a certain amount of vocabulary and understanding of stuff that um, it would be really weird if a six-year-old was like that. But Well, let me circle back to that in a second uh, after we do some more of these predictions. But, uh, yeah, Ender kills his first guy at six, so... <laughs> anyway. That's badass. Kindergarten killer. There was a prediction that the good guys would win, but there would be some kind of ironic twist to it. Hmm. Oh, that's true. That sounds true. Who made? Did I make that, or did Will make that prediction? I forget. Oh. <laughs> I want to I mean, win can, the predictions. <laughs> I can go back and look. I mean, I have it recorded. I can it's go okay. back and like rewatch it. I can come back in twenty we'll, minutes. We'll, and we'll, tell know, you. we'll know when the podcast airs. Yeah. Okay. Um. But uh, there's also the prediction that the adults would be bad. And this is what I wanted to kind of talk about a little bit. Um, Right away in the book, um, Ender has this moment where they're talking about how they're going to take his monitor out uh, for the first part of his life. He has this sort of like monitor in his neck that like allows them to keep tabs on him and like keep track of him and. Like, can he read uh, his thoughts? I was like not totally sure. I don't think he can read his thoughts, but it can like see out of his eyes and like check his heart rate. Okay, maybe that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, right. And like hear everything he hears. I think it's basically in his spinal cord, so it has access to everything except for like his literal thoughts. But um, there's this thing where the doctor says it won't hurt a bit, and Ender's like, it, it is gonna hurt. Adults lie. Mm-hmm. 
And it's this little bit of like kid wisdom that he has about how adults lie about things. And it comes like really early in the book. And that stays true throughout his sort of entire entire life. Yeah, I think at one point they say like lies are more dependable than the truth at, at some point. Yeah. And also, if you'll permit me a slight um, tangent, that lie about it's not going to hurt. So that's a thing that doctors do. You know, they tell you it's not going to hurt when it's really going to hurt. <laughs> so uh, I have this scar. Uh, uh, my thumbnail is warped here. I don't know if you've ever noticed. Um, it looks a little warped if you look closely. And it's because I have a scar on the bed of my thumbnail. It warps as it passes over. So the story behind that is that when I was a kid, when I probably around the time I was reading Ender's Game, uh, I was like 11 and um, I was on the playground playing tag and our playground for whatever brilliant reason was made out of wood. And um, I was running full speed and just sort of like brushed against one of the structures and got a piece of wood jammed Oof. all the way down underneath my thumbnail. Oof. Oh God. It's like a bamboo shoot. Going. <laughs> yeah. It's like one of those things they used to torture people in movies. Um, and so, uh, you know, I went to the nurse to try and have it removed, but all she managed to do was like break off the top so that like there's a piece all the way under the thumbnail that could no longer be reached. Sounds way worse. Thanks it, a lot, it, nurse. It was worse. So I went home and um, my dad is a doctor and he took me to the clinic he works at and had me checked out. And they're like sort of like outside the room deciding what's going to have to happen. And so my dad and I always had up until this point, this thing where like, you know, my dad would like give me shots as a kid. And we had this sort of like jokey back and forth where I didn't really like needles and I didn't like getting shots. And I'd always be like, is it going to hurt? And he'd be like, only if I stick myself, <laughs> you know, and he'd like give me the shot. It would usually kind of hurt, but um, not that bad, but you know, whatever. Uh, you know, but, you know, is it never really like answering the question, always kind of making a joke out of it. And then um, he comes in in this situation and he's like, OK, here's what's going to happen. They have to take the nail off. Uh, they're going to have to give you a local anesthetic. You're going to get a series of five shots around the base of your thumb so that uh It'll numb your thumb up before they can surgically remove the nail. And I was like, is it going to hurt? Expecting the same answer to come. And he looks me dead in the eye and he says, yes, this is going to hurt worse than anything has ever hurt before in your whole life. <laughs> I'm going to be right here the whole time. You should hold my hand. Oh, God. I mean, <laughs> it's terrifying. I mean, I mean, I, I think your dad did the right thing there, right? I mean, he was completely honest with you, and he was there for you, and he was right, and I'm sure he was. Um, yeah, but but still, wow. I know. I mean, if he had lied to me, it would have been worse. Yes, but it was just such a. I always look back on that. Um. Yeah, and so anyway, and so yeah, the shots hurt really bad. Although it probably would have hurt 
a lot worse if I didn't get the shots because after that they, uh, you know, they cut my thumbnail off. Yeah, it would so, definitely hurt way worse than the shots. Yeah, they hurt real bad though. Yeah, I mean, I had to have uh, my toenail removed once, so they had to do that. Uh, yeah, did you get get the same series? Yeah, just in my big toe. Yeah. Well, because there's also there's like there's no meat there. It's basically just like skin and bone. Yeah. You're getting the shots into yeah. Ugh. Well, anyway, so yeah, uh, adults lie unless uh, they're like my dad and they don't, and then they just scare the shit out of you with the truth. <laughs> uh anyway ender's game i wanted to fight in that battle room so fucking much his final battle you'll notice he um so he keeps um he keeps winning because he's ender and he's a genius and he wins battle after battle and they keep trying to wear him down by force normally in the battle school you fight like once every week or once every two weeks they force him to fight every single day and sometimes multiple times a day sometimes multiple times a day until finally he gets this final battle where they force him to fight for the second time in a day immediately after he's had this physical confrontation where he killed this other kid so he's emotionally all shook up and he has to fight two other armies he's outnumbered two to one and they've set up these stars these obstacles right in front of his gate so that it's completely blocking his view he can't see out and the other teams have had like 20 minutes to set up right they've yeah been something there. like that yeah they, they were already there so it's like a it, it's a kobayashi maru it's a no-win scenario but Ender wins basically by cheating. He does like a, a kind of like a technical knockout where he realizes that you don't actually have to beat the other army to win. All you theoretically have to do is get through the enemy gate and you technically win. So he sends almost all of his army out to be sacrificed while Bean, one of his lieutenants, uh, has this sort of like special like suicide squad basically that is for special missions that like runs and does the like victory ritual at the gate and does the technical win and this comes back at the end when he's at the final um command school thing where um he uh has it, it, this it was bean's idea too really well, is it Bean's idea or is Bean just repeating the sort of mantra well, of sure. Ender's yeah. army? Where yeah. sort of, so Ender's whole thing is that like w- when you're fighting in zero G, you always have to sort of like orient yourself somehow. So you orient yourself by saying the enemy's gate is down, right? And so when, you know, in this first battle school scenario, Bean sort of snaps Ender back to reality when he's frozen by this horrible set of circumstances he says remember the enemy's gate is down and that gives him the idea of how to win and it comes back the second time in the command school scenario where he has it's like a thousand ships to like 80 or something like that and a planet and he freezes and bean says again remember the enemy's gate is down and ender realizes well i can't win the battle but i can get a technical knockout by destroying the planet (laughs) And that's what he does. Yeah, I mean, it's also relevant to, like, how, how the buggers behave. 
like in why that would work as well. Like, I mean, so you had mentioned Star Trek earlier with the Kobayashi Maru, and it actually made me think when we first are introduced to like how the buggers communicate, they actually like don't communicate in any traditional way. They don't like write or talk or, you know, anything like that. Um, they just like have like instantaneous communication and it, and just like it was such like an alien thing, which is one of the things I really like about sci-fi that you can kind of explore like truly different life forms from us and not just like appearance wise, but like truly different. And like it made me think of um, that episode uh, Shaka when the walls fell. Are you do you remember that episode? What happens in that one? It's the one where Picard has to go to this planet to like there's this new alien life form that like wants to be in that the federation like wants to like you know set up a relationship with but they talk in like analogy isn't that darmok yeah that's the name of the episode but like the thing is like he says like shaka when the walls fell i couldn't remember like the name of the episode but like he they don't like communicate yeah they speak in uh in in analogies yeah exactly exactly and so, and it's like, they don't communicate in like, we understand their words, but like, they don't communicate the same way we do. And it's, that was like, just an interesting thing about the buggers, how they like communicate. I don't know if anyone like found them else found them interesting, but like, that was actually one of the most interesting things in the book to me was like their race, even though we didn't explore it too much. But Well, I, I think this is a good moment to bring up. I think we've kind of talked through Ender and the kind of main plot of the book. Um, and that would, and that kind of brings us to maybe the weird coda. Oh yeah. Um, where we explore the buggers and his sort of like post battle school life. Yeah. I mean, I think it's necessary to like at least say first, like how, the buggers are different than us. And, like, uh, you know, I'm not going to, like, solve, like, uh, the mystery of consciousness on this podcast. But it, like, it, you know, they, they're almost, like, not communicating. It's, like, there's a queen. They're, like, ant-like creatures. Yeah. But not, like, in the same way that ants communicate, like, through pheromones and, like, body motions and, like, a little bit of sound and, like, stuff like that. They, like, almost are, like, a collective consciousness, Right. That, like, the queen, like, basically controls the other bugs, like, instantaneously. And it doesn't seem like they actually have consciousness, like, on their own. Like, it's just, like, uh, you know, it's, a pro- it's like, they're different parts of this, like, one group. And, I mean, that seems like, it's kind of, I thought it's kind of interesting because it does seem, like, theoretically possible that a race could develop a collective consciousness. I mean, like, we're, our own bodies are like just a series of parts where like consciousness emerges or at least that's what we think we're not really really sure but um and like so there's no reason at least theoretically that we know of that like consciousness couldn't be between like beings that like different separate parts that like just have like antenna connection and then like a, a full collective consciousness emerges that way yeah and i thought that was like super cool and interesting and like and then the buggers didn't understand the human race that they're all individuals because they couldn't see any collective consciousness so they just assume we were sort of like you know what bugs are to us on this world like sort of just like not important so they could just colonize us 
And then so it turns out in the coda, which you were saying, Dave, that like, you know, Ender comes across this like queen, like, um, wasn't an egg, but like, you know, this like one leftover Tifa. queen and like, you know, it's, she sort of commute, it sort of communicates to Ender like all of their knowledge or some of their knowledge anyway. And like, it turns out they like weren't going to attack us again. And like, they just, they found out late that they were, that we were like, you know, morally intelligent beings and so they weren't going to attack again, but like we wiped them out anyway. Right. I mean, it's I, I was also very intrigued and interested by the communication of the buggers and this idea of, well, you know, hive mind. But there's kind of an, an idea um, that, you know, certain animals and they bring up ants and they bring up bees that it's more. Uh, correct to view the entire hive um, as the as the creature rather than the individual insects um, just right. as it makes more sense for us to be viewed as as a human being than um, billions of little cells kind of going about their individual business exactly um, and you know you can kind of extrapolate that in in either direction and think about you know um societies as being you know all, all of us being part of societies or you know all of us being part of humanity in the singularity or you know the future world where we're all just you know individual <coughs> nodes plugged into this you know thing that is the internet and maybe mm-hmm. you know <laughs> that sort of uh, vast swarm of information is uh, ultimately the the actual being um so it's interesting uh, a very interesting thing to think about and obviously like the way that they communicate communicate isn't even the right word as as you said as you were talking about dan it's like you have the queen who is almost like you know the brain or the central nervous system and everything else is just kind of an extremity that automatically um you know acts uh uh and and reacts based on on you know just kind of the automation of it and once you take the queen away as they said you know they all the individual beings are still technically biologically alive but they're brain dead they have no function anymore um so yeah a a kind of a very interesting way to think about things and as you said you know in sci-fi one of the interesting things is you can think about how different beings may um you know may 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 uh, communicate and think in a way that um you know, we might, we, we, it might not be inherent to us. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's not just that, um, we get a second chance with the buggers. It's also like Ender personally kind of gets this weird second chance, you know, because they, you know, they sort of reached out to him. They chose him to be the one to find the the queen larva and to be the one to sort of like carry it and find the new place for it they recreated this place from uh, during the course of the book he gets obsessed with this sort of like child's game called the giant's drink that he acts out some very disturbing um personal uh behaviors on but um you know, they sort of like recreate the events of this game from his subconscious as like a message to him to be like, Ender, come find us here. And he does. And, you know, 
they give him the chance to be the one to, you know, basically plant the species anew, I guess, as a kind of like sign of forgiveness or a sign, you know, because they realized that, you know, he was acting not deliberately to destroy them, you know? So there's a bit of uh, a bit of grace for him in that. And then he writes he he writes this book. He writes uh, the Hive Queen as the speaker for the dead, which winds up becoming the basis of a kind of new religion, which is interesting. It serves as the jumping off point for the sequel, Speaker for the Dead. I do not personally recommend the sequels in this series, um, but that's just what that is. Anyway, I didn't like Speaker for the Dead, and I didn't read the others. You can read them if you want, though. I'm kind of curious to watch the movie now, though. I am as well. I, you know, I avoided the movie. I think I mentioned in part one because I hadn't read the book and it was kind of on my list vaguely, and um, also because the reviews were pretty shitty. What did you guys think of this uh, subplot with Peter's siblings back on Earth? Oh, that was awesome. Yeah, let's uh, talk about that. Peter and Valentine. Internet trolls, basically, right? Internet trolls taking over the world. Yes, uh, which is, you know, um, all too all too relevant to today, I thought. Um, Written in 1984, though, so very prescient. Yes, very much so. Um, and I actually, I didn't know as I was reading it, I, I, wa- I didn't know exactly when it was written, um, but it was, you know, they, it did very much kind of foresee, I guess in 1984, the very beginnings of the internet um, were you know, already established and uh, not really for public, but within the military, I believe. Not like that, though. But not like that. And then I think also the whole desk idea was basically an iPad, right? I mean, more or less, that's kind of how I was picturing them. So it it did kind of foresee some things, I think, um, in a way that was really cool. Well, was anyone else sort of like confused about, I mean, I know they explained it a little bit in the book, but like why... With the broader significance of why they had Peter and Valentine swap roles in terms of their their like personas, their avatars on the internet. Hmm. My understanding was that um, in doing so, it kind of like it may it tied them together so that like neither one could strike out on their own as easily because they needed the other one to help them beef up the writing no no i i sort of understand like the in book explanation for it but is there a broader significance like a message of like what that's about or is it just like he thought it was an interesting kind of thing you know so he did it that oh, way oh yeah i don't know if there's a message behind it but yeah, so basically the story there is um, back on Earth, the forgotten Wigan, yeah, Ender's last name is Wigan, the forgotten Wigan kids, brutal Peter and passive Valentine. Peter decides he wants to take over the world. So he comes He's up with of, two... sick uh, of torturing squirrels to death, so uh, he, gets know, he bored to with progress that. to the next level, which is taking over the world. Yeah, he, he has loftier ambitions. Um, why torture a squirrel when you can torture a planet? He decides the way to do this is he comes up with two different um, online avatars. There is Locke, who is reasonable and moderate, who he will rep- who he will write for, 
and there's Demosthenes, who is an a demo a right wing demagogue who he'll have his sister write for. Neither one of them really suited for the role they're adopting, and that way it forces them to work together and remain as a team. And together, they'll amass influence on the internet, become more and more powerful on either side of the political spectrum. And together, as the opposing poles of the you know global political movement, they'll rise, and eventually... Peter will amass enough influence as Locke. He'll take over the world. Or as Demosthenes, because he can just kill Val and take that too. But it turns out that like he does like sort of take over, but like he does he ends up being like peaceful and like he brokers that that peace. And uh so it's sort of like an unexpected situation well, in some ways. Well, it never winds up being clear if Peter has ever actually changed on the inside or if it just like doing these things serves his purposes yeah i mean i was also waiting for do you remember early in the book one of the, like the creepiest things for a character to say was like when he's like threatening ender early in the book and he's like hey i'm gonna like i forget it's i wish i could remember wrote down the quote but like it's like you know you're gonna think i've changed and then like i'm gonna like kill you like years and years later mm. like and then like no one's gonna expect it and like you know i forget exactly how he does it but like it's you know super interesting like and creepy as hell how he phrases it yeah he's like it it'll be decades from now you'll think i forgot but i will never forget yeah but so. then also later that night when he thinks everyone is asleep he stands over ender's bed and starts crying and saying i'm sorry ender i love you i'm sorry yeah but you just never know if that's like part of peter's like character like just just a psychopath fucking weird you never (laughs) fucking know what's going on with this guy i i don't know yeah i don't know you know i don't trust him one quote that kind of stuck out to me just because i thought it was very similar in in you know the both of them having kind of these avatars or these pseudonyms um is was you know the line perhaps it is impossible to wear an identity without becoming what you pretend to be which yeah, very mother night yeah yeah mother night right um which is the the kurt vonnegut um be careful what we pretend to be because we were all what we pretend to be um and you know just something that i think about all the time when you look at you know just the world and people who kind of purport to be certain things whether they be you know politicians or intellectuals or whatever um and that there's always a a bit of artifice to it and maybe a bit of cynicism to it but in the end we are all what we pretend to be and we cannot not be i mean i had heard of Locke too i mean obviously from john Locke, but had Mm -hmm. had any of you heard of the uh the greek orator that um peter's character was uh, sorry uh val's character was taking on no not in any significant way and i didn't do any kind of research i I look i looked the person up and i just from the quick wikipedia it was basically it was a he was a greek orator like a really like amazing orator and then he'd all but he'd tried to take over like lead an uprising against alexander the great he ended up failing, but like, you know, that's, you know, it was a pretty obvious like metaphor there, but, um, you know, chosen for a deliberate reason. But, uh, but I just thought that was interesting. It's a cool name. 
It was kind of hard to pronounce, though. Like, I wasn't sure how to say it. <laughs> well, when I was a kid, I thought Demosthenes, but uh, I heard it, like, on TV when I got older, and I was like, oh. What is it? Say it again. Demosthenes. Okay. Maybe I'm wrong this time. I don't know. We'll, we'll go with it. All right. I'll write in and tell me how wrong I am. Anyway. But, I mean, I think we're basically sort of at the... I think we've covered everything, unless anyone has anything else they want to mention about the book or their reactions to it. I think I mentioned all the big things I wanted to say. There was there were a lot of fart jokes. That was Were fun. there? There were a lot of fart jokes, yes. Yeah. I mean, they are like eight-year-old kids, right? They're, right, they're eight-year-old kids. <laughs> there was a big, there was a dick joke. I don't there's remember some, the dick joke. I remember, I remember a lot of fart jokes. There's some race and ethnicity humor that doesn't age super well. I also noticed that the first of his uh, group to break down is the chick. There are a few lines that probably wouldn't be written or make it through the editorial process today when it comes to gender and um, the female gender's ability to engage in battle or to take on certain responsibilities. Well, wasn't um, wasn't the first is the girl that he became friends with at battle school? Like, wasn't she one of the best? She is one of the best, but she's also the first one to crack under pressure. Right, oh, right. and and there w was some uh, discussion in the book of her being sort of the exception that proves the rule or whatever that you know something like the reason why there aren't very many girls in battle camp is because blah 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 yeah i mean petra's a character that i liked very much but uh kind of some weirdness around her i don't know but well here's the thing about orson scott card he wrote a book that i liked a lot but he's kind of a dick Interesting, because I don't know anything about him other than Ender's Game. I mean, I know, I know there are some sequels to Ender's Game, but did he write other things? Um, and is, is he still alive? I mean, this wasn't that that long ago that it was written. He is still alive. He wrote sequels to Ender's Game. And in the grand tradition of Dune, it's one of those situations where book number one is awesome and the sequels are terrible and maybe someone will disagree with me on that but i read i read every sequel to dune and that was a big fat waste of my time i read one sequel to ender's game speaker for the dead and by that point i'd learned my lesson and i was just like nope fuck this shit and i threw it away the thing about it is, is that um as you might have noticed from the coda so, Orson Scott Card has said that he basically wrote Ender's Game as, like, a prologue or a pre-story to the actual story he wanted to write, which was Speaker to the Speaker for the Dead, which is this, like, complicated, moralistic, religious, introspective like ethical like exploration about like first contact and second contact and like religious ethics and stuff like that and it's fucking boring and frankly too religious by half for my tastes and i didn't like it 
So that's uh, and there's two more of them that come after Speaker for the Dead that I didn't even bother with. A few years after those books came out, he went back to the Enderwell and he wrote a like parallel series called Ender's Shadow, which is all about Bean. Mm-hmm. I guess spoilers for Ender's Shadow. It basically posits that Bean is this like genetically modified super freak who has had um, genetic upgrades done on him. So he is in certain ways superior to Ender. And um, the battle school places him there. And there are some scenes in the first book that like take place side by side with Ender's game. And I've read I've read the two books like side by side, and they actually are like word for word exactly the same. Just um, you know, the scenes before and after are different, so the perspective changes. And it's sort of like things unfold differently. So like during the command school thing when ender freezes the way it was going to go down was if um if ender had not recovered and you know if he had actually broken down command would have transferred to bean so you know i don't know it's just about how cool bean is basically and it's i read the first couple of them it's interesting for what it is but it's you know, it's a pale shadow of Ender's game. It's aptly titled. <laughs> uh, it's got a lot more. That series does have quite a bit more about Peter Wiggin, though, eventually, and his eventual takeover of the world. So if you're interested in Peter, I guess it's got some more about that. But to get back to Orson Scott Card, Orson Scott, Car- Orson Scott Card's, like, got some pretty conservative religious uh, social views and is pretty anti-gay marriage and homosexual relationships and that kind of stuff and like campaigns against those things mm-hmm. yeah that kind and of tracks honestly yeah is kind of a dick yeah well the yeah, he, i mean the kind of the whole kind of rigidity of the world that he sets up and and kind of the moral universe he creates i think maybe although um you know the the ending kind of the epilogue that we were talking about where ender goes and finds kind of like the cocoon or the you know is trying to find a new um place to bring uh the the bugger so they can recreate their world um does speak to sort of a an empathy and maybe even like an anti-war point of view um but throughout throughout most of the book you can kind of see uh maybe a yeah, it's it's not surprising what you're telling me, I guess. Well, he said he has a love the sin, love the sinner hate the sin attitude, mm-hmm. but I don't really view it as a sin. Oh, sure, yeah. So, anyway, I don't think any conversation about Ender's Game is really complete without uh mentioning the the author. So, gotta throw that out there. Me, I just really really like books about kids beating the shit out of each other and blowing shit up. 
So you can separate the art from the artist a little bit, especially if you take the book out from your local library. So guys, any last words before we wrap this thing up? I'm good. Yeah, go out and read, everyone. I agree. Go to your library or, you know, in these COVID times, I think you can uh, reserve things online and stuff like that and and read a book. I mean, one thing that was um, fun for me in this, uh, aside from the specific book, which I enjoyed, was just, you know, having a book to read and talk about. It was very cool. So, you know, get Fuck off yeah. the internet for a while, guys. Get off Netflix for a bit. Read a book. Get off the nets. Get off the nets. It's good yeah, for you. Read a book. Listen to a podcast. This podcast. <laughs> this podcast. Stop listening to Demosthenes and listen to something better. Um, well, guys, last question then. Do you believe that this book was better late than never and that it's filling some kind of critical niche in your artistic, cultural world that needed to be filled? Or was it one of those situations where if you'd never read this book in your whole entire life, that would have just been A-OK? Dan, let's start with you. All right, I actually have, like, a sort of complicated answer to this question. Like, I don't think, oh. like, if I had never read this book, I, I just don't think I was, it's something, like, essential that I feel like I had to read. Um, I did enjoy the book, and I think it was, like, worth reading in, in that sense. Um, so, like, if someone asked me, like, that's my age, like, oh, should I, like, do I need to read this book? I would say probably, like, no, you don't necessarily have to read this book, but... If I had a kid, a teenager, that I was, like, sort of wanting to, like, read a book with him or her, that's, like, kind of, like, if they had, like, some sort of sci-fi interest or something like that, I might recommend this book for them. So, I, I would say, like, that's worth it for that age group. Although, I do have complicated feelings because I find, like, it's, like, it's, some of the themes are better discussed as an adult. So, like, I think it's, I'm mixed on it, but um, I'd say yes for a kid. And um, it's a good book for an adult, but not like essential. Yeah, Dan, I think I kind of am completely in the same place with you where I enjoyed reading the book, but I didn't think that it was completely essential. But I can imagine had I read it, um, Dave, at the age that you were, you know, when you read it around that time in my life, I think it would have been had much more of a profound impact on me. And definitely as I was coming towards the end of the book, I was definitely like thinking about you know, like my nephews, what age are they? Would this be like a good th a good book to send to them? Because I think they would like it and it might be, you know, an important thing for them to read. So I think absolutely the same. I would recommend that everyone read it. Um, but if you're, you know, an adult and I guess kind of depending on biographically, like who you are, I mean, if you are kind of uh, uh, sort of your interests are maybe in sci-fi or maybe in military or maybe, you know, you do have that... Um, history of maybe having issues with bullies and stuff like that when you were a kid i think that it might be really up your alley um just the average person i mean again good book read it but i wouldn't necessarily say it's essential for an adult who missed out on it as a kid right on right on well i've been pretty clear that i loved it i don't know if i would necessarily put this in the hands of a kid who been bullied a lot might give them the wrong ideas on how to handle that kind of stuff <laughs> Ugh, yeah that's a good point we don't want to be raising any written houses we don't want to raise any little enders <laughs> but um you know anyone who's into military history stuff though and like you know anyone who liked the hunger games i mean 
this this book could be right up their alley. It's it's a fun book. I mean, there's some moral quandaries for us grown-ups, but for a kid reading it, it's it's pretty fun. Those battle school scenes are a blast. Yeah, so, agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that is our program for today. If you'd like to contact the podcast, please email us at better late than never pod at gmail.com or tweet at us at better late underscore pod dan and will thank you very much for reading this book and for talking about this book with me and for ringing in season three of this fantastic podcast with me all right yeah thanks dave and for all of you out there in listener land welcome back this is season three It's going to be a great one. I look forward to talking to you so much more. I will catch you next time. Bye.